Another week, another Wednesday, another episode. Welcome back to the Crisis Sports Report. I am your host, Cole Schrader, along with Oliver Coe's Cole, kicking it to you. Hello. Evan. Hey, hey. Austin. Happy Wednesday. How's it going, boys? Ready ba- uh, back and ready for another episode of the pod. Um, baseball opening day is tomorrow. The Final Four and Championship Weekend starts just a few days. College basketball. This is truly the best time for sports in the year. I swear, early to mid-March, and like late March as well, because it's late March at this point, fantastic. You got basketball shaping up in the NBA. You got the MLB getting ready to kick off. You got March Madness, which is personally my favorite of any postseason event in all of sports. But what a time, especially with the tournament we're having. My goodness, this past weekend, I have no words. I just got to issue an apology to San Diego State University. I'm sorry for doubting you. <laughs> I I think it's unreal. I know we said this last week as well, that we thought all the 12 seeds were going to win in the first round, and now here we are in the final four with two five seeds. We predicted them to lose way back in the first round, and now two of them are about to play. One of them's guaranteed to play for the championship. Or not guaranteed. No. Nope. I, for a second, then. Yeah, I, I meant to say they're both in each game. Like, there's five seed in each game. But, like, that's, yeah, just said that wrong. But, yeah, they, we could possibly have a 5-5 five, five seed matchup in the championship. But I, I actually looked. The lowest seeded Final Four on average came in 2011 with number three UConn, number four Kentucky, number eight Butler, number 11 VCU, average seed of six and a half. This year is the second lowest average seed of all time in a Final Four with 5.75, with a four, two fives, and a nine. I like these so much better. I love them. Like, everybody keeps talking about, oh, there's no blue bloods. Like, this is terrible, blah, blah, blah. Last year's tournament didn't stick out to me, and we had four blue bloods in the Final Four. This one's so much better. Like, San Diego State, no one watches them. They're a West Coast team, so no one's going to stay up till 2 in the morning watching them play. Creighton, that was a tough game. I was really rooting for Crane on that one. But then FAU, who, who thought FAU was any good? Nobody. Everybody probably picked Memphis over FAU at the beginning. I don't know. For, I, except I for know, Cole. I know yeah. a lot of people loved FAU as a nine seed. I, I think I had them beating Memphis in a decent bit of my games, or decent bit of my brackets. I don't think I had them making a run past the, the round Because you had them playing Purdue next, right? Yeah. So. yeah, I had – a lot of brackets, so I had the one that I put money on had Purdue winning, so obviously FAU is losing in that one. But I, uh, I had to make a little bit of a run in other brackets. But by the way, my bracket with Purdue winning, I won one of my pools, so I made like thirty-five bucks on that with my champion getting it eliminated in the first round. And if that doesn't speak to the craziness of this year's tournament, I don't know what does. Because if it's right off the bat and your champion's getting out and you have a pool of twenty-five plus people and Everyone else is still doing worse than you, and you are your max immediately drops from like nineteen hundred to seven hundred after one day. That's insane. I don't know if I told you guys this or my other friends, but for some reason in my bracket, just going back to FAU, I in the first round I had Memphis beating FAU and then losing to Purdue. But in one of my other brackets, I had FAU beating Memphis and then beating Purdue. I don't understand why I thought there was such a gap, but yeah, I. Sometimes it's just the randomness. I think when you make so many, like when you make several brackets, it's just like I could see this team losing in the first round, but I could also see them making a run, kind of like how we talked about with Duke and Oral Roberts. Obviously, both wrong. We thought Duke beats Oral Roberts, they're gonna make a run to the Final Four. If we think Oral Roberts beats Duke, they're gonna possibly make it to like Sweet Sixteen, Elite Eight. Duke won, immediately loses 
two days later. Um, that's unfortunate, but can I just go ahead and say it? Horns down, absolutely elated that Texas lost. Couldn't funny, be more funny happy. story. I'm also extremely happy Texas lost because I'm still on that Miami train for Nigel Pack. But if Texas would have won, I would have won my bracket pool. So Texas. I had split feelings. No matter what, I was a winner. I didn't win any money, even if I would have won the bracket pool. So at the end of the day, I think I still came out on top. But Texas losing is what won me my bracket pool. If Texas would have won, I would have dropped out of like the placing to win money. But them losing, I was ecstatic. Especially because I wanted to see, I wanted to see a Big Twelve team win the championship. So I was, it was mixed feelings. I'm like, God damn it, Texas is really going to win this game. They're probably going to go on to win the ch- win the championship, and it's I'm going to have to deal with just seeing Texas posts everywhere and Texas fans be absolutely annoying as hell. And then they lost, and I'm like, okay, at least a, like a Big Twelve team didn't win, which sucks. But also, like, hell yeah, Texas lost, and I made money. So yeah, I like how the Big Twelve was considered the best. All year round, and now not a single team is in the final four. I would like to mention that because it's the, the final that, four. And the team that took out the last Big Twelve team was a team from the ACC. So, yeah, but it's Miami. Like, it's usually always Duke, North Carolina. But it's fine. I'll go ahead and say it now. ACC is the best. Cole's a professional hater on the Big Twelve. I watch West Virginia games all the time, and Cole just sit down and watch it with me and hear the announcers. They, oh, this in this conference, the game is just such a dogfight. Every one of these games is just a dogfight. They're fighting tooth and nail, and he gets so pissed off, and he thinks that they're just overdoing the conference. And I'm like, how can you do that whenever – if you look at the hardest – or the strength of schedule rankings, I believe it was the top 15 teams, 10 of them were in the Big 12. And when you're a 10-team league and you have – Seven teams make the tournament. That's pretty damn good. Seventy percent of your conference making the tournament, and then Cole loves to be like, "Oh well, the Big Ten had eight teams or whatever, or whatever." Well, I mean, was. well, yeah, they had a higher number. They also got like six extra teams. So they had a higher number of teams in the tournament, yet none of them made the final four. And the ACC had like what, maybe three or four teams in it, and one of them's in the final four. Okay, but it's March. Anything can happen after, and you're gonna come out the come at the Big 12's neck after we just won back to back championships. If we if a different Big 12 team would have won this year, that would have been the only conference ever to have three straight winners, all different teams. Last year should have been the ACC, but Caleb Love was awful. Good thing it wasn't the ACC. I I don't recall what happened in that championship game. You, you mind giving me a rundown? Caleb Love was terrible in the second half. The worst performance I've ever seen. Can we? Uh, do you want to go ahead and keep talking about Caleb Love and the fact that he's transferring out? Thank God. <laughs> you hate him that much, huh? Yep. I want him to go to Duke, so that means Duke will be bad next year, and then we won't have to worry about them. I can't hate him. We were in the same graduating class in high school, so I can't hate him. But it's just funny that you. Wait, you, you guys go to the same high school? Yeah. You went to CBC. Really? Yeah. Damn, that's crazy. I did not know that. So yeah. wait, hold up. Highland Shootout, our senior year. Um, CBC played Whitney Young. Did you go to that? No. Oh damn, I was there. Really? But yeah, because my high school played in it as well earlier in the day. They played uh, our team played Michael Porter Jr.'s brothers. They were played for they played for Father Tolton, and one of the brothers that were on the team just got kicked off Denver's team this year, and I think arrested for like gun charges or something. Oh, so wait, that team like that team that Caleb Love played in that had DJ Stewart who went to Duke, right? Yep. One of my biggest regrets is not going to enough high school sports. So, like, I didn't go to, like, any tournaments. I didn't go to, like, biggest regret in my life. As somebody who, pl- obviously, we didn't have, like, a Caleb Love. As somebody who played in some of those games, it's not high school. It's not? It's, it's high school. Like, 
obviously big name would have been cool, but if you saw him a couple of times, that's all that really matters. Unless they won like the state championship or something, that's all. Just going to see him play a couple of times because looking back, high school sports, people that think they're super important, unless you're like a top prospect, high school sports are just for fun. Like yeah. people really, especially in small like small towns, people think it's like God, but yeah. Yeah, I went to just about everything you could for senior year. I um uh, I I led our student section, so I was like, you know what? I took it like personally. Like I'm gonna go to as many games as I can and just absolutely rile everyone up, just get the crowd going. And I, for the most part, I did that, except like our women's basketball games. But that's like another point. It wasn't like I was just like I don't like going to women's basketball games. Um, the fans would never like. I would try to get students to just get hyped, and everyone's like, no, we don't feel like doing that. We're just gonna watch the game. So then. All the all my friends on the team got pissed off at me. Like, why aren't you do? Why aren't you leading the student section? So then, as like a as a point, just to because they pissed me off, I stopped going to all the games. So then there would be like three students at all their game. It was their senior night, and I didn't show up. And they text me, "Wow, love to see that our senior uh, pep club leader didn't show up." And I just text them back a thumbs up because I was pissed, not having it. They were going around talking behind my back too. Like, we need a new student uh, student section there because Troy sucks ass at this. But I mean, obviously, it was uh, three years ago now, so I'm not like super angry. But at the time, I was like, "What the fuck." I was not happy, but but that's besides the point. But yeah, that uh, Highland Shootout had some had some good uh, good names. Um, did yeah, Luke Kasuki played in it. He was at K State. Now he's at Illinois State. Valley runs deep. Uh, Patrick Baldwin Jr. was at it. No, not that year. Wait, yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah he was. Senior, yeah, Patrick yeah, Baldwin was, was in it. Yeah, Patrick Baldwin Jr. was Got there. Like a Forty point triple double. Um. Who else was there? Ryan Kalkbrenner played. It was and Davion Bradford play, They played against each other. It was the like they advertised as like the battle of seven footers. So it was there was a lot of like really good recruits there actually. But so obviously now we got this tournament or um, the final weekend of the tournament coming up. I think I I think I went back in last week and said about FAU that it's like watching your friend beat up his little brother, what they did to FDU, and then voted about it. But uh, all I'm saying is now I'm hoping for the, I'm hoping that they win. I would love to see a conference UA, USA team take home the, uh, the championship because that would just be insane. We talked about conference prestige and stuff before the tournament even started and how there are some teams that we didn't think were going to make a run. And now we've got a, a damn Mountain West, Conference USA, ACC, and Big East. Like we've got – one Power Five team currently in the in the tournament. With tech, I know we call it in the yeah, Big East. I yeah, we. I consider the Big East, but like if you go off the like technical Power Five, then we've only got one in it. Honestly, I think the Big East will be like. Do you think they'll ever change like the who is in the Power Five? Because USC and UCLA, I believe it is, are leaving the Pac-12 soon, and those are like the two teams are consistently two of the teams keeping the Pac-12 up. I think that. I don't know. I think we'll see how the Pac-12 adjusts if they add some different teams possibly or some other teams emerge as powerhouses, then the Pac-12 might stay relevant. But I think with them leaving, if the Pac-12 just stays, the Pac-12 minus those two and just like free reigns as the Pac-10, I feel like you almost have to move the Big East up, at least for basketball. They don't have football. But I would love to see that uh, that possibly get changed because I have really thought that the Big East is a better – basketball conference in the Pac-12 for a while now. But speaking of Pac-12, Arizona, two seed. Kirk Creesa enters the transfer portal. Um, I know that he was like all Pac-12, scored around 10 points a game, leader in assists. West Virginia's on it, and I'm loving it. 
sounds like McDonald's, but for real, I couldn't couldn't love it more. He's uh, taken a few visits to some schools now, but a lot of uh, places have predicted that he goes to West Virginia, which I would love to see. I think he'll be going to Nebraska. I hope not. Just my opinion. Why? Sucks. Yeah, that's. I just saw. I just heard that that was. I just heard that was their number. He was like the second highest currently. I think he'll go there. That's the only. It's been to West Virginia and Nebraska that he has taken to visit to, and apparently Xavier is also in the running because Sean Miller is now Xavier. It was he was Kirk Reese's head coach at Arizona, so those are the three teams apparently in the running. But they have crystal ball predictions have had West Virginia at the top so far. But. So, also, another thing, FAU, this is only their second time making the, ch- uh, the tournament in school history, in the Final Four, possibly a chance to make it to the championship. Dusty May is their current head coach. Do we think that he stays at FAU after a run like this or leaves? Oh, he's leaving. Yeah. I, 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 don't, know, I don't know anything about the coaching landscape in uh, men's basketball right now, but he's got to be leaving. There's got to be a better school. Well, I don't want to say already, better. Already that guy from FDU already got a job, right? Yeah. So... One of those things, though, is kind of how it's it's like a blessing and a curse almost for Dusty May, I feel like, because Tobin Anderson, FDU loses in the first weekend, and then you have a chance to replace someone else at a job who maybe their team was eliminated earlier in the tournament or they fired their coach after season. Like, you can move up in terms of conferences after that. But if you're FAU and you, the season keeps going, you can't talk about changing your job until the season's over. But some of these spots are already getting filled, like Notre Dame, Filled, filled their head coaching job while the tournament was still going on. California just filled theirs today. And there's not many Power 5 jobs open now, and they've been filled during the tournament. Say FAU loses last weekend, maybe he takes a job. But now it's it's kind of like, do these schools want to play the waiting game? I know Penn State is currently still looking for a head coach because their head coach was the one that left for Notre Dame. And I've seen some people say that they want Dusty May, but it's one of those, are you willing to wait? I mean, I know it's only another weekend, but how do we know that Penn State hasn't already gone through extensive interviews and searches through candidates and now they're narrowed it down and they haven't even have a had a chance to talk to dusty may and you also got to think on the other end too if you wait for dusty may and you get rid of all these people that you're looking at and they go accept and then dusty may's like actually i'm gonna go here or i'm gonna stay at fau now you're just screwed exactly it's it's definitely one of those uh situations where uh it's kind of damned if you do damned if you don't but actually i don't know if i'd say i'd say maybe like a a uh, catch-22 situation, but I would love to see Dusty May go for it. I think that he's a fantastic coach, and he's really getting the most out of his players. I mean, obviously, when you're 19, you make a championship run. Uh, coaching is going to be a, a big part of it, but I, I love his story, too. I always love seeing players that or coaches that were not necessarily super successful as players. Like, he was, he didn't even play college basketball. He was a student manager at Indiana, got done. Worked around as a uh, in a few colleges as like a video analyst, video coordinator, and then eventually after six, seven seasons of doing that, gets a job as an assistant coach. Slowly works his way up, and now he's at his first head coaching job. He's been doing it for a few few years now, and obviously has a chance to make the championship. But I just love people like having those stories where it's kind of like a rags to riches type thing. Before we go into our next point, and I know we're covering the final four, but can we just go back to last Thursday? for that slate of games. Like, Kansas State, Michigan State, what a game. Oh, my God. That was a great game. Like, I I texted you a couple of times, Troy. I was like, we should, like, have an emergency podcast just to talk about that game. The alley-oop. I knew Troy was probably jumping out of his seat for that one. I was... I was going ballistic. I swear to God, it was Marquise Noel wiped his sweat up with the towel. I'm like, he's so good. This guy is insane. And Cole's like, dude, you have got to chill out. And 
Like, so, I mean, maybe it was a little excessive, but I swear that he was just – everything he did had my jaw drop. Like, 20 points, 19 assists? Like, come on. Also, side note, Evansville made a graphic in the tournament this week. I saw that. Yep. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah, they – uh, it was during the tournament whenever Marquise Noel had his 19th assist. They showed the top assist games of all time in the tournament, and one of them was Gary Payton dropping, like, 18 assists on us in the tournament. So, Evansville was mentioned in a graphic. Good job, UE. We made history. <laughs> we, we made it. We made it to the Sweet 16, guys. <laughs> <laughs> My schools are always on the wrong side of history. We got Purdue, now UE. Rough. But per, or the Colts blew their lead to Minnesota this year for the, like, biggest blowout or something. That was funny. I'm sorry. Okay, thanks. But, like, just going off of, like, just Thursday alone, I didn't really get to watch Friday's Sweet 16 games, but, like, you know, you had Gonzaga-UCLA. We were kind of, like, skeptical on that, but that was a pretty good game. I don't know, Cole, I know you said you wanted to be, like, 2021. Did that hit your level of entertainment? Oh, yes, it did, very much. Not as much because, like, I was on the wrong side of it. I wanted UCLA to win, but it it still lived up to the hype, I won't lie. Back-to-back shots like that always... Is great. I mean, obviously the last one wasn't really necessarily a buzzer beater, but it's like they ran the Villanova play yeah. and it worked. And they, I mean, I, I was listening to Jay Wright talk about the villain when he ran it at Villanova, and the Jenkins shot is actually the last option. Like when they would run it in practice, they never got to that option because there was every other option available. And so for them to run it for Strother to hit the shot, that's technically not the best option. And then he drills it like. It was a horrible shot. Like, let's be real. Like, I get he was kind of open, but you kind of in rhythm. rhythm. But why are you shooting a backwards pass, like six feet behind the line three with a crap ton of time left? And you're on a dead sprint. You got to immediately yeah. catch, stop, shoot. It's such a hard yeah. shot. But it, it was, I, it was one of those where I was like, "What the hell are you doing?" And then when he hits, I was like, "That's the greatest shot he's ever made in his life." Like, I've never seen anything better. Yeah. Um, also, I would like to point out that before the game, I said Malachi Smith is going to be their X factor for that game, and he did absolutely that. Um, they got no scoring from their guards. Razier Bolton, zero points, 0 for 1. Nolan Hickman, zero points, 0 for 4. Their guards, and then Strawler obviously uh, hit that big shot. He was 5 of 15 from the field, 16 points. No guard play for them at all. And then you're like, you know what? Malachi Smith run you the whole second half. Like, he barely came out. He was one of three players in Gonzaga or on Gonzaga's team that had double digits. Gonzaga scored 79 points. They had one, two, three, four, only five people score the basketball. Like that's unreal. Drew Timmy with 36. Like that's just unreal. I'm looking at it's I, and honestly, the way Drew Timmy was playing, I was really thinking like, you know what? I think Gonzaga is going to give UConn some trouble. I think that Sonogo Sonogo's really good, but Drew Timmy's potential national player of the year. He's not going to win it, but, like, he's a finalist. He was an All-American first-teamer. I'm like, you know what? Snuggles kind of feasted on guys that are a little bit more inexperienced or not as talented. So I was like, you know what? I think that they kind of cancel each other out. And then Drew Timmy goes out there and just – it was like he didn't even want to play. The, the announcers made a point. They were like, wow, this is just fantastic for the Zags. They've got Drew Timmy out here, four minutes remaining in the first half, no fouls. We're three minutes into the second half. Drew Timmy has four fouls already. Like, it was – he just picked him up like that. He just kept – Kept knocking them down, just foul after foul after foul. And they had to take him out. Then Snogo ends up going out there and eat, not really eating it up, but he had 10 points, 10 boards. And I'm like, this is just unreal. I was I was fully expecting this game to be wire to wire. And then all of a sudden, 
Like, it felt like I was watching the game, would look at, like, just turn my head for a second, and I would look, and UConn's up by five more points. And eventually, I just stopped watching the game because I'm like, this is just unreal. They're winning by 30 points. This is just not even a game anymore. Can we talk about that? How did UConn have such a cakewalk weekend? Like, that is insane. Obviously, they still saw what they do. They dropped 79 and then 82. 88 against Arkansas. 88 against Arkansas. And then 82 against UConn. Or, uh, sorry, against Gonzaga. Like, Cole's got to be loving it over there. Big UConn guy. Yeah, they're making my cup proud. But look at what they're holding their opponents to. 65. Yep. 54. What was before that? That was the... This weekend, it'll probably be... 55. And then the first game... They held Iona to 63, so there, nobody has scored 70 points on him yet. That's ridiculous in college basketball now, especially, like, in the tournament, teams shoot a lot of threes. Iona shot, shoots a lot of threes. St. Mary's shoots a lot of threes. Arkansas shoots a lot of threes. Gonzaga Charleston, just scores a lot San of San Diego points. State's first-round opponent. I thought Charleston was going to do it. Charleston, mm-hmm. one of the best three-point shooting in, shooting teams in the nation, lost by three-point shot, terrible from three. I thought Charleston was for sure going to do it. Now here we are with San Diego State on the verge of yeah. in a championship. But shows you defense wins championships. I'm interested to see the Miami-UConn game. Like, obviously, the other game, I'm still going to be interested to watch. But, obviously, I feel like this is definitely more of a powerhouse kind of thing. But I'm just interested to see how UConn – because UConn hasn't played, other than maybe Arkansas, they haven't played elite guards yet. And I think Isaiah Wong and Nigel Pack both are elite guards. So I'm interested to see if they can keep that defense going against those two. I think Sonogo will probably have a pretty good game because who's Miami's big guys? I forget his name. Omier or Chad Omier. Yeah, he's awesome and big and a great rebounder, but he's also like six six. Six seven. Six seven. Yeah. So I'm interested to see how that game goes in terms of matchups. I think whoever takes advantage of their matchups wins that one. I think it's been kind of unreal who Miami's been getting production from. Not like who, but it's every game someone else goes on goes ballistic. They beat. Um, Drake by seven points in the first round. They had they got Wooga Poplar at 15 points, and then Nigel Pack obviously at 21, so he's having a good turn. But in the next round against Indiana, I believe Isaiah Wong had yeah 27. You look at the next game against Houston. They've got who went? This was That's Nigel Pack's game, 26 points, seven to 10 from three. Wong had 20 again. Then you look at uh, Houston. I believe Omier went ballistic. Well, not ballistic, but 12 points, 13. Uh, 13 boards, and then uh, God damn, Nigel Pack is just going uh, going crazy this tournament. I think I might have clicked on the same game, but nope. Miller, 27 points, three rebounds, didn't miss a shot. Yep, perfect from free throw line, perfect yep. from the field. It just feels like every other game, it's someone else is like someone else steps up to the plate, and you've got Wong and Pack being consistent, but you got Omir cleaning up the boards. You've got other guys here now to keep chipping in points and hitting shots. It's like, how do you game plan for that when you know these two are going to be consistent? But then you just don't know out of the supporting cast who's just going to have an unreal game. They shot 87.5% from the free throw line. Their starters went 3 for 3, 3 for 4, 2 for 2, 4 for 4, 13 for 13. And their bench guy was 50% at 3 for 6. Damn, that's crazy. Free throws and defense. Yeah, and they 28 free throws too. Like 87.5 is really good, but 28 points on free throws is wild. They lost the rebound battle. Lost or they won the turnover battle. I read that wrong for a second. 25% from three, and you win by seven points in the, the Elite Eight. You know, free throws defense goes to show that fundamentals can definitely still win you games. But I would love to see any team but UConn win the championship. And I have nothing against UConn when I say this, but every team in the Final Four, except for UConn, has never won 
an NCAA championship before. So if and if FAU, San Diego State, or Miami win, we will have a first-time champion, which I would love to see because it just goes to show that now more than ever, anyone can truly win it. And we've been having a lot of upsets. Well, a 15 seed has made the Sweet 16 each of the past three seasons, whenever it only happened one time in history before that. We're seeing a lot more upsets. Like you, you see these mid majors and small schools come out, and just people, no one expects them to really do anything, and then they punch like a power five blue blood in the mouth, and then they win, and everyone's like, "Holy shit!" and they're shocked. But I feel like this is starting to become starting to become the norm. I just, I, I honestly would, I love to see it because, as much as I'd love to see a dominant team just go out and just wax their way through the through the competition, win the championship, and just be like, "Wow, holy shit!" This team was dominant. I think it's it's so much more fun as a fan to just go out here and be like, you can make some bets on the game, make your bracket, try to make predictions, but if you truly have no idea who's going to win every game and it's damn near like a, a coin flip, it's just – it makes for great, great basketball because then you truly want to watch everything. You're so invested. You have no idea, like, literally what's going to happen. You have no clue. I'm starting to wonder if 16 seeds beating the one seeds are going to start becoming the new norm. I, I mean, I think it could. You, I, I think that – with 15 seeds starting to be two seeds now more often, teams are starting to not – I don't I, I don't know how to say this. I guess not be caught off guard by small seeds because sometimes, you know, you take them lightly, then they come out and take a big lead. That's whenever you're potentially going to get messed up. But now that you're starting to see it more ha- uh, happen more often, I, I think the teams should adjust. But, I mean, like I said, past few years, big teams keep losing. I, I think that coaching-wise, like we're going to start seeing a bunch of younger – coaches at these smaller schools or coaches that maybe haven't gotten chances like they're coaching their ass off trying to show that our school has it I've got what it takes and I I really think that it's just going to be like a masterclass performance from these smaller schools going forward because they know that it's it's been done before now that it also motivates them as well beyond the numbers beyond anything else basketball is a game of confidence and so when you see one seeds go down when you see two or two seeds go down all these upsets see a nine seed in the final four all this kind of crazy stuff it breeds confidence in young teams and in lower seeds and that kind of thing so once it's been done that's like like you said that it happened once that a 15 seed got to the sweet 16 in the past three years we've had one happens once it breeds confidence and then all of a sudden it just keeps happening i'm I don't even care if it becomes the new norm because even if it's the new norm, it's still going to surprise people and it's still going to make for ecstatic Cinderella stories and all that kind of stuff because at the end of the day, even though we've seen it happen a billion times, it's still an upset. And that's the whole point that you always – it's just the underdog stories, right? And then even then, like Evan said, we've got a bunch of small teams that are winning games like that. You come into the tournament every year and, like, it it may become a norm possibly where you're like, okay, well, it's happened – Six years in a row, the 15 seeds made the Sweet 16. But all those two seeds are two seeds for a reason. It's not like they're going out here and getting a team that deserves a nine, a two seed, and then it's like, okay, well, this is just waiting to happen. These teams are good, and they're adequately seeded, and people are like, nah, they're just too good to lose to this team, though, right? And it's just it's just going to be like an endless cycle, and I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. Which I don't know if it's been a debate recently, and we haven't really talked about that, but like this is a prime example to never expand the tournament past 68 yeah i heard they're trying to make it like 90 something don't and some guy's saying that it's probably going to happen that's and sucks. he said it's a terrible idea i absolutely hate it but there's so much money behind it that it's gonna happen because at the end of the day all sports are driven by money no matter what anybody says 
So you obviously know more than I do. How are they going to do it? Like, I have no idea. Is I'm it going to be like twenty? Was it twenty four seat or twenty four teams per like quadrant? Or I don't know if they're going to do that, or if they're going to have like more like first four kind of ga- like more playing games. I have no idea how they plan to do it. I haven't seen enough stuff about that. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be um, against the idea of expanding the tournament, but I don't want to see a drastic expansion. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm I would be okay with seeing two extra playing games. And then that way we've got 72 teams, and then you have three playing games each, like three playing games one night, three playing games the next night. Gives you just a little bit more basketball, maybe makes people a little bit more money um, for the viewership and gets some of these other schools a uh, possibility to showcase what their program is, is doing. But I think that if you just make it too much, like it, it kind of turns into fatigue. Like it, it's just going to make it harder to win as well. If you make it 92, you're going to have, or whatever, 90-something, but – the only way I'd be okay with it is change it so that there's more playing games. Get all of the teams that like the low seeded teams that won their conference tournaments automatically get a bid. Put them in the like official tournament, and then get all the bubble teams to play each other for the low to mid seeds. Like so, get Wisconsin, get Rutgers, get North Carolina. Obviously, then you're still gonna like always have the first four out, last four in, but you just have more of those last four in teams. Mm-hmm. That would be the only way I'd kind of be okay with it. But if you start changing it so that it's no longer 64-32-16-8-4-2, you, you don't want to – I feel like that's just a horrible idea. And even adding a, an extra round past 64 would be even worse. Yeah. I feel like the only way you can do it is if you just have more playing games and maybe make more of, like, those 8 through 11 seed games a little playing-ish, but – the problem is though, if you expand the bubble, like where do you stop? Because you're going to start seeing teams that are if you if you add thirty teams on, do you see mid major teams like say Bradley for instance this year? They won the regular season t- uh, title in the Missouri Valley, lost to Drake in the championship. They didn't make it. They were still a good squad, but now that you expand it, do you just give Bradley a bid into the tournament, or are you starting to see sub five hundred teams from a Power Five conference get in because it's like oh well they had some good wins because they're in a Power Five conference? Like no, this team is not that good. But it, it kind of comes down to the name game. I think that's what it would probably end up being, which I would hate to see because I, I would love to see more basketball, but then the actual games themselves would not be good because you'd just be seeing bad teams play and then get rewarded for having not good seasons. Which I don't want to say you want to favor mid-major uh, conferences in this, but if this year has shown anything, is that mid-majors, mid, mid-majors can play. So I wouldn't be – like I would be okay if they did expand the tournament and you have the top two seeds um, – Maybe not top two seeds because you don't, you can always have a run in the conference tournament, but the top two teams in each conf- uh, mid-major, they make the tournament. I'd be okay with that, but I don't know. Yeah, because, yeah. again, like I would I would like to see, like, who Princeton, Princeton played Yale, right, for their conference championship. If Yale would have got a bid, they put up a fight against Princeton, and look what Princeton did. So, clearly, Yale's still a good enough team. So, in that case, maybe you do, like, whoever wins your conference tournament championship, automatic bid whoever gets second place or you could even go within so like if the during the season the regular season champ was the team that won the tournament then you just go by second name or if the regular season champ didn't win the tournament champ the regular season champ gets in as a playing game that i guess would work a little bit but at the end of the day you're just adding teams in just to make more money and play more games and it's taking some of the specialness of being one of those teams to make the ncaa tournament like you watch Every time those little baby teams or teams that are on the bubble make it, pure elation and absolute heartbreak for the teams that don't, the more teams you keep adding in, the less it matters. 
And it's just like with the NBA, I, I, I love the playing games because it's just one and done basketball half the time, and that's fun to watch. But at the same time, it doesn't – like you can say, oh, Pacers made the playoffs. No, we didn't. We were the 10th seed in the the East of 15. We were 10 out of 15, and we were in the playoffs. It doesn't count. It doesn't matter. Does I don't know if you know this. Does the NBA count the playing tournament as playoffs? They count or? it as postseason. Yikes. So you – I think if you still don't make it into the one of eight, then you still get put into the lottery, but you still consider it you made a postseason appearance, and so then people, like, we're not getting into this, but when you start getting into, like, GOAT debates and stuff, then you can be like, oh, well, LeBron made the play-in tournament this year. That's another postseason thing to add on to his list of accolades. I was like, no, he's probably going to be 10th or 9th in the West. Obviously, you could play your way into the one of eight seeds that play in the tournament or in the playoffs, and then whatever happens, happens. But that, to be fair, that though, kind of stuff is stupid to me. The West is so tightly contested this year that although the Lakers are not looking great and people are like, oh, LeBron's team is failing, LeBron has been hurt, AD has been hurt, and they've traded away a few players, but they're also two games out of, like, the four seed. Like, it's – People were talking about the Thunder dropping out of the play-in tournament. They're also – if they, they lost the game the other day to drop out of the play-in, if they would have won that game, they would have been, like, the seven seed. So it's com- it's completely decided by one or two games in the West. It's so tight that you go on a three-game win streak, you move up five spots in the standings. So I think that it's no- – nothing should be taken for granted in the West until the play – it's kind of not over till the fat lady sings, I guess. I know we're kind of off topic now for March Madness, but do those play-in tournaments – give you like something more to play for like as the regular season goes on because like i'm i'm talking about this through the nhl standpoint like the eastern conference all playoff teams are set like they've been set for like 20 games now you know but maybe having that playing tournament gives these teams that are not in it but you know are good enough that you know they just got outplayed or outperformed by teams that have a great you know beginning of the season do those playing tournaments give these teams more to play for instead of just giving up yes but at the same time, like in the West, it shouldn't matter because everybody's playing for the five seed in the West dang near right now. The one, the five through like 12 seeds in the West are within like four games or something like that. So even though it gives you something to play for to get into the play-in tournament, if you didn't have the play-in tournament, you'd st- everybody would just still be fighting for the eight seed. And then it matters when you get into more matchups and stuff like that because now it's like, if you had a tied record for the eight and the nine seed, whoever had the tiebreaker, they're the team that's going on, the other team's going home. But now it's like, yeah, well, we're the nine seed. Who cares? We're going to play the eight seed or whatever in the playing tournament anyway. So who cares? I guess another true argument against it is that it prevents tanking, but I also don't know. No, it doesn't. You don't have, think? have you watched the, other than, I guess, Jay Nivey popped off, go Purdue. But have you watched the Pistons or the Rockets played basketball recently? Or the I, Spurs? I do not watch NBA. Okay. So. Shit, you don't want to watch the Rockets. No, you do not want to watch the Pistons. The Pistons can be fun because they're just young. They have, like, James Wiseman all those guys, but they're garbage. And then the Rockets are tanking and the Spurs are tanking. So. I would kind of – I would sort of lump the Hornets in there now. I mean, they've been yeah, winning a few yeah, games yeah. recently, like, kind of unprecedented, where I'm kind of like, why are you winning? Because I know they want to discourage tanking. But it's obviously still a thing, and with a player that they consider, with Wembenyama considering, uh, considered to be the best prospect since LeBron. If you're the Hornets, why are you playing yourself out of the one seed conversation? It's not even like Lamelo Ball is there. They've got bench guys that are like, you know what? Let's play our asses off to beat the Mavs on a Tuesday night. 
Like, cool, you got that win. But lose the damn game and then possibly get Wembenyama, Lamelo comes back, and then you're playing for possibly a championship next year rather than you get the seventh pick and now you're playing to be you're fighting just to get in the play in next year. It's funny you mentioned that just because I'm another shameless NHL plug, but I'm a fan of the Blues. We traded away most of our star players at the trade deadline because we sucked. We've won like eight of our last ten games, and you now look at we're the Nets. Yeah, same thing. And we're costing ourselves a chance for the number one player who's is as good as even better. Than Connor McDavid, which I think everyone knows who oh, Connor shit. McDavid is. Like he's just as good as Connor McDavid, and because we've won eight of our last ten games, we won't even get a shot at him. Like I don't get that, and maybe that's where we were talking about last week having those tournaments. Because you, you were a big fan about having those tournaments between the non-playoff teams, to where maybe the worst team doesn't actually get the first round or first mm-hmm. round pick. Yeah, I completely, a hundred percent, wholeheartedly agree with that. Because one, it encourages playing hard during the season and not tanking so you can even if you can't make it into the playoffs you've got the top seed going into a little playoff to try and get the best player and then also it just it matters and you care and then we can get teams that are maybe right on the verge getting some superstar developing well I mean you just look whenever rookies go to the Warriors those rookies turn out great obviously Wiseman kind of fell off a little bit but Moody Kaminga those guys pool when you put good players on good teams they're gonna explode whereas otherwise you could have guys like Wiggins go to Minnesota and everybody's just like well he drops 20 points a game and they lose every game so why does it matter seeing those things happen like with the Hornets and then like the Blues I I kind of love those because I, I love when something that's so ironic happens that just kind of makes me chuckle but everyone talks about how when, when you're a losing team you're pissed off you're like this team sucks I'm tired of spending my money my time supporting them and they're terrible but then they win, and you're like, hell yeah. And everyone says winning cures all. But then when a team fully embraces the tank and sucking, you trade, and then you start to win. Now you're they're winning and supposed to like winning cures all. And you're like, why the hell are you winning? Like, yeah. I, I love seeing those because I, I I watch the NBA not as much as I probably should. And whenever March comes around and the tournament starts up and baseball starts, and I kind of like slowly lean uh, on the other sports and get away from the NBA – which is, is when the postseason starting to heat up, so I mean, I probably shouldn't, but I would call myself a Hornets fan, and I'm kind of like, why the hell are we winning these games? And it's like inexplicable, too. It'd be like Terry Rozier on a random Tuesday goes off for 45 points and misses three shots, and it's like, yeah, Terry, get your buckets, but like at the same time, you're getting paid regardless. It's not like you're playing for a contract here. You're already making 20-plus mil. I mean, at, at this point, I, and you're not late in his career because Terry's still in his 20s, but, like, why are you not just like, you know what, screw it. I'll drop 25 this game rather than 40. My team will lose by five points. Next year, you got Wembenyama. We're a legit contender. You know why Jordan's better? Because everybody played like that back then instead of tanking or taking nights off because they don't need to try because they don't care because they got their money. I mean, I, I – yeah, I, I'm not a fan of players sitting out. But at the same time, when people bring up debates – like LeBron versus Jordan, I don't want to get into it too much because I know Cole's going to get pretty riled up here and we're going to go on for a long time. Cole's a big, 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 big LeBron guy. But if you you can't put blame on Jordan or LeBron for their competition. Like if you beat them, that's great on you. But at the same time, like you can't blame LeBron for other people sitting out and then it's like, oh, well, LeBron beat a team that had no these stars not playing. Well, LeBron can't be like, hey, guys, play this game because I want to beat you. Like it doesn't work that way. So, I mean, I think it's kind of another situation where it's kind of – I don't want to say damned if you do, damned if you don't, because it's really not one of the – like a situation that that sort of applies. But it's it's like uh, LeBron gets shit on regardless because if he wins the game – or wins the game and they're not there, it's like, well, the team didn't team didn't even play. And then if they're there and he loses, oh, LeBron sucks. He can't beat the good players. 
but so opening day is tomorrow. How are we feeling? Anyone got uh, any? Let's say let's say World Series predictions early in the season. Oh, uh, I was just gonna say the Cardinals are gonna win the World Series. They got Jordan Walker in the lineup. We're hundred wins. We're winning the NL, and we're winning the World Series. Um, I will say the Dodgers will sweep the Oakland Athletics in four games in the World Series. Whoa. In a big California rivalry. That would be insane. Oakland project project like 40 wins. They make the turn, uh, make the World Series. That would be insane, especially because whenever the Dodgers would go to Oakland, there would be like five fans in the stands. No one in Oakland cares, which is kind of unreal to me. Give me five good teams, and I'll pick one for my World Series prediction. The Dodgers, the Dodgers, the Dodgers, the Padres, and the Astros. <laughs> okay, realistically, it's the— I'm Going with the Mets. <laughs> Love the Mets, baby. Go Mets. Because they suck so bad, and nobody ever picks the Nets because they always find a way to screw it up. I'm going with the Nets. I don't know. The Mets this year, everyone is— I, maybe this is the year that they finally break their curse or whatever. That's what people but, said last year. <laughs> but they also picked up a lot of players this year. That's they what have, they did last year. <laughs> well, I mean, they added in like a few, but it's like this year they're spending a lot of money. Like they are fully committing. Like they're getting better and better every year. I mean, yeah, they lost Jacob Degrom, which sucks. But they replaced him with Justin Verlander, who technically at this point I'm very willing to say he's better because Degrom plays five games a year. Yeah, I mean Verlander's forty, so you don't know when that drop off comes. He just won the Cy Young. I know he just won the Cy Young, but like. Seeing a, a pitcher win the sign at 39 is not normal. And, I mean, Rodgers won the MVP two years ago, and then Rodgers did last year, last year. So I mean, Exactly. To, you can see a To be drop. fair, though, Aaron, you look at Aaron Rodgers' drop passes that they had. There, There's, a, like, a video of, like, the like drop passes Aaron Rodgers' like receivers had. And that co- those drops cost a bet about 600 yards and, like, five touchdowns. So you add those in. Regardless, go Mets. That's my prediction. So the actual good five teams, Troy. If you wanna, if you wanna go into this, if you want. Yeah. So we got, we got the Braves, we got the Dodgers, we have the Padres, we got the Mets, and I, the Astros are always a team that's possibly gonna win it. I feel like every I hate the Astros, just Fuck as much the as Astros. I, yeah, for real. But probably just as much as I hate Texas. But you wouldn't, it, con- you wouldn't consider the Yankees in that list. I was going to say the Yankees as well. I just was going off okay. of I hate the okay. Astros. But, yeah, Yankees are next. I think you've got about six there. But I think it might just be the state of Texas now that I think about it. I mean, I don't have a problem with some of the other teams, but, like, Texas, Houston, like, fuck them. For real. <laughs> yeah. I don't like the Rockets or the Texans. The Rockets suck. I think that's part of I think it's the fact that they've, like, they commit to the tank, but then they go out there and their games are just awful to watch. It's like. You got a bunch of young guys, and instead of like actually trying to hype them up, you give the ball to Jalen Green, let him ice over 20 seconds, throw some horrible-ass shot. And then like, let KPJ do the same thing the next two possessions. While Jabari's working his butt off. but exactly. I would love to see someone go out there and play so bad that it's kind of funny. Like I like watching Killian Hayes highlights. Whenever he takes a pull-up jumper and it hits the 13th row, that's awesome. <laughs> like I, I feel like it's better to watch someone suck so bad than just suck a little bit so it's still like actually kind of good because it's like, damn, these guys are ass. Missing those see- DeAndre Jordan highlights where he's shooting like finger roll layups and literally just airballs it yeah, despite like, being 7-1. Yeah, like that DeAndre uh, – uh, I said DeAndre. You said DeAndre Jordan. But Andre Drummond highlight where he – I think he tries to ISO, takes a yeah. mid-range jumper, <laughs> and then has and it lands like in before the restricted circle. Yeah, that's awesome. I love seeing it. Like Javale McGee walking Shaq in a fool. One of my favorite players. Love watching that guy. It's awesome. It's one of those where you like you kind of laugh and you immediately say, "Let him cook." 
that's that's the best the best time. But where'd the dog go? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but going uh, going back to the World Series, those are the six teams. You need me to repeat them, Evan, if you want to make a pick, or are you sticking with the Mets? Go Mets. I hate New York, and I hate the Mets anyway because they're in New York. But go Mets, because why not? Can we talk about how you had like five and five NL teams in that top seven list? That's impressive, mm-hmm. and they're all from the west or the east. Like you know, yeah. Central is pretty overrated or Central's underrated. No, respectfully, the Central sucks. They suck. Bad. Yeah, they yeah. suck. That's what I want to say. They Honestly, suck. I don't think the Cardinals will make the playoffs. I think the Cubs will because they have Cody Bellinger, and he's the best player in the league. Dansby Swanson too. And Dansby Swanson. That's the See, sexiest team. Always hate Cubs. Cool. Uh, if they had Kelly Oubre, they'd be set. They would be. Um, Cole was steady hating on Dansby Swanson in the ho- in the offseason because the Dodgers were sort of linked to him. I mean, big name for agents. You're going to get – the Dodgers are going to be linked to him every time. But he was like, Dansby Swanson has one good year, and I swear to God, he's not even that good. Like, I don't even want him. So, I think it's purely because Cole's like a it's certified meat rider of Cody Bellinger. Yep, he's my as soon as player. he gets on one team, this team's going to win it all. Like, Cody Bellinger, Dark Horse MVP. He said that last year. Cody Bellinger batted barely over 200. <laughs> it was his first full year off an injury. Give him some leeway. I mean, I support Cody Bellinger just as much or more than the next guy. I mean, not as much as you, if you're the next guy. But it's it's I'll been be the next guy. It's been that is. It's been three years since he's put up any sort of respectable numbers. I mean, I I would love to see him just pop off and see the old belly back. But it's we're so far down the line now. I just don't know if it happens. It will. Just wait. I would love to have the optimism of Cole. Just. Just completely unwarranted, and then even just like un—I'm trying to think how to how to word this—but just completely no reason confidence. Kind of like with UConn, I have a cup of them, so they're going to yeah. win the national championship. And now it, here's UConn <laughs> playing to get into the I, national I was championship. Gu- I was going to ask you if Cole had like a Dodgers cup, like in the. He does. <laughs> Do. Do you use that more than the UConn cup? Uh, I use the Cowboys cup the most because that's probably big, my favorite team. Big Cowboys team. guy. Big yes. Cowboys guy. Yeah. America's well, team. If you could just go ahead and buy a West Virginia Cup this offseason, I would love that. I mean, I've got one myself, but it hasn't seemed to work because we're constantly ass. So, I'll buy one just to throw it in the fire. Well, that was unwarranted. No, it wasn't. Just uncalled for. I don't think that Hugs deserves your respect. What's he? What's he uh, what do he do to you? Nothing. Nothing. Exactly. Hall of Fame coach. But opening day tomorrow, absolute mortal lock. I'm calling it. Right now, I know I've talked about how my, my betting struggles and how they just – I very unlucky. Mortal lock, Reds, Pirates tomorrow, no run first inning. Oh, we're going those. Two terrible teams, and you have Hunter Green and Mitch Keller on the mound. I mean, Hunter Green is good, but Mitch Keller is like, – he's solid. He's getting better and better, but the lineups are so bad, and you're facing the team's ace. I think it has to be mortal lock. Now watch it go and like the Reds are gonna hit six bombs in the first inning or something unreal. Set like a four three. O'Neill Cruz will go yard his first at bat of this season. I'm so, calling. So it. you're saying go ahead and do it. Go ahead. Yep. Go ahead and place it. All right. Cool. Yeah, that's my mortal lock. Now there's gonna be some people out there like, yep, definitely gonna fade that. I'm gonna set that. Take the over on runs. Can't, can't wait till the uh, Pittsburgh's leadoff hitter just nukes one to right. That's field. what I'm expecting. I'm gonna be pissed. It's gonna be it's gonna be something unreal. We're like just some. Like, he'll hit a fly ball and it'll land on a bird's back, and he'll fly it over the outfield wall. Like, it's just some otherworldly shit always happens when I bet on a team. Forget about the pitch clock when the bases are loaded and just walk a run in. I'd be pissed. I'd probably, I'd probably punch my TV. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't even be that invested in that game, but just because, like, I'm going to put money on that, I'm like, dude, it just always seems to happen this way. But, 
All right, predictions for um, each division. Cole? Like who wins each division? Yeah, do you think there's any any surprise teams that make a run? Who do you think uh, – I'll go. I'll go division by division. Who I think's who I think wins each one. NL East, the Atlanta Braves. I feel like that's pretty obvious. Um, the NL Central, Chicago Cubs. That's my one shock team, just because Cody Bellinger. The NL West, the San Diego Padres. Their lineup. I'm a Dodgers fan, so it, it like hurts saying that, but I cannot deny the Padres like lineup is just far better than ours now so I, I won't and their pitching is like almost as good as ours so I wouldn't be surprised if they do win the division and then the AL I'm going to go Astros and then Guardians and then yeah, the Guardians br- AL Central not not, a wi- not White Sox the White Sox their three best players are going to get hurt tomorrow anyways so and then yeah, it feels like every year they've constantly and then you lose Ho- Jose Abreu that's uh a big, big uh, yeah, knock. Exactly. Team, but and then AL East, the Blue Jays. You ready for the most cold takes in the history of predicting baseball thing? By the way, I had to look this up on my phone. I don't know who's in what division. So, all right, I'm absolutely ready. <laughs> so we got the AL Central. I'm going Guardians. Yeah, that's a good. We pick. got the AL East. We're gonna go Yankees. We're gonna go AL West. I'm going to be bold, pick the Angels for once. For once, Otani and Mike Trout are going to be insane and just carry them. Uh, NL Central, I'll go. I'm actually, ooh. I got to pick the Cardinals just because I don't like the Cubs. I don't know anything about the other teams. I know the Reds are terrible and the Brewers are meh. National League East. I'll go Mets, since that's my pick to win it all. NL West. Hmm. If I would have gone before Cole, I would have picked the Dodgers. Going after Cole, he says Padres. Hmm. Let's just go with the Dodgers. I think the Padres will be better, but I think the Dodgers will get more wins. Just because. Let wait. I, bef- let, sorry well, to you cut you off, but let me uh, reverse what I said about the AL West. Fuck the Astros. We're going the Mariners. <laughs> I was gonna. They are a very, as well. very underdog team with like the. They made like three or four really good pickups. They traded for was it Teoscar Hernandez, I believe. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's a great corner outfielder to put out there. That's a good bat, and I mean, and Julio Rodriguez is the good kind of player in the league. Kind of opens up their outfield because I know they had a, lo- a lot of options. They're like, how do we do with this guy or this guy? But then they a few other guys left. I know Mitch Hanniger's with the Giants now. You're placing with Teoscar. It's a it's a better pick. They traded Kyle Lewis to the Diamondbacks, so you don't have as much of a log jam. You get those players out there, like you get your good players to play. And like having too many good players is a problem. But then it's also you feel like you have to get the guy on your bench some playing time, and you're taking starter worthy players out. But if you have no option on the bench, they're like demanding playing time. You play your best players, you're out there, you get the best opportunity to win. But um, hearing Evan make his picks for the division made me think this earlier for the – I meant to say this for the tournament, NCAA. But next year, based off this bracket, I'm about to just go and do like the the way my mom picks her bracket. I mean, my mom watches a little bit of sports, but like the typical mom of watching sports, like, ooh, I think this team's going to win because I like their colors or their mascot's scary. I think this team's going to win. That's how I'm about to be picking this shit because this year – Brackets were absolutely terrible. Wichita State is the greatest of all time because every little kid that thought they looked like a cheese stick picked them. 
That's awesome. Didn't understand that they were a thing of wheat. They definitely thought they were cheese sticks. That's funny because I just picked up some cheese sticks like three days ago, grocery shopping, and I straight up looked at it and it's like, damn, that looks like the Wichita State logo. Like at the time, I didn't really think it, but now that you say that, like I did con- like think that consciously the other day where I was like, this is this is Wichita State. But I'm going my picks. Um, NL East, I think I have to go Braves. I think that the Mets are still a really good, really good team, but I think that the Braves are just too good. And even last year, like they were damn good, and Ronald Acuna was out for part of the year, came back, didn't even play that well. Just wait till he returns to full form. They got Spencer Strider, who I love. I think he's, you know, his ass is a wagon. Um, it's absolutely, it's <laughs> that thing thangin'. <laughs> yeah, that thing's thangin'. But he gets so low into those glutes and then just absolutely explodes. That's like, it's, I love watching him pitch purely for his mechanics. Like, normally I don't watch a guy, or I mean, like some guys I do, like Tim Lincecum, you know, forever love watching him pitch. But seeing Spencer Strider get like so low to the ground, Throws a thing like 103, and he literally has like a fastball and swagger. He's two pitches, and he dominates. I love it. Okay, legit question. As somebody who is not a baseball guy, what's the deal with every time I like – so I don't really have Instagram. I download like once a month just to see what if anybody like requests to follow me or send me something that I should have seen. But I'll see like a highlight of an MLB guy throwing like a 50-mile-an-hour or 40-mile-an-hour just a looper in there. What is that about? It's normally position players pitching or Zach Greinke. That's or, like it or, was one like it was like a fat guy throwing it, and he's just literally just like t- lobbing the thing. That might have been Daniel Vogelbach, or Alejandro Kirk, yeah. one of the two. What's the reasoning behind it? Um, they're normally position players pitching, and they'll put them in if it's like an absolute blowout. They don't want their pitchers to go out there and throw and hurt mm-hmm. themselves, so they'll take a guy off the bench and be like, "Hey, go pitch for us." And then because it's a ten point game, they or ten run game. They don't care, and they just go out and throw the ball 45 miles an hour and just let people So when the it. MLB takes on our middle-of-the-season tournament, that's the rule. No pitchers pitching, only position oh, players. Oh, my God. I'd like to see that. On Make it happen. That'd be fun. I, I think that – I will crazy. watch baseball if non-pitchers are pitching. Although there are some of those guys that are, like, insane because I've seen some TikTok players where, or TikTok people where they ask players what uh, they're top, what they top out on the mound. There are some guys that are like, oh, I haven't pitched since I was 16, but I topped out at 94. Like, they don't yeah, they try. Just the guys that are, like, hitting the backstop every time because they can't find yeah. the catcher. <laughs> yeah. Since we're talking about that, there's a new rule this year about that. Okay. I don't know if you guys have seen that. Yeah, I see about, I'm not a fan. I don't know why, you, I don't know why yeah. you restrict it more. So, uh, leading teams have to be up by 10 or more runs in the ninth inning in order to let a position player pitch, uh, while trailing teams can use a position player anytime they are down by eight or more runs. Ooh. I'm not I'm not a fan of that. It's not, aw- all. It's not awful just because I feel like it was getting to the point where like almost every game was using a position player pitching. It was kind of like every blowout. I f- yeah, but I feel like it was getting to the point like even more than like games that were blowouts. It'd be like not like very like massive blowouts, but they weren't like close games. You know, they're like kind of like in the medium, and they're using a position player. Like I don't does are I feel like when teams do that, they're kind of just surrendering. Like okay, we give up this game. Like it takes like out a level of competitiveness. I can Almost. see that, but at the same time, if you're down seven runs in the eighth inning, what's the point of using a guy in, uh, in your bullpen and possibly getting him hurt whenever you know, like, okay, we're not going to go out here and put up seven runs in a half an inning? Why not call the game? Is that something that baseball has ever thought of doing? Uh, Run rules? No, they will do I, – I've seen, like, 30 to 4 beatdowns back when the Orioles had, like, Chris Davis's ghost on their team, and that was their first baseman. Uh the Orioles used to be terrible. Like I've seen them get absolutely annihilated. Like the the Yankees back in the, around 2010 hit like 
five grand slams in one game, and this game they played all nine. It was an absolute annihilation. Like I've never seen a team get mollywopped that bad. But Cole, to your point, I don't. I I think it's fun when you get to see those players come in and pitch the uh, position players. It's just an overall good time. Because if you're watching the game, you're like, oh, yeah, here we go. Like, here comes Brett Phillips coming out here. Like, you kind of get excited. And then if nothing happens, it's like, oh, well, I mean, you know, pitch a scoreless inning or, you know, it, it, he got teed off on. Who cares? Like, no one really cares at that point. Brett Phillips or Cy Young. Yeah, for real. But then if you see him do something crazy or so he strikes someone out, like, you go nuts. Like, I feel like there's almost no negatives to it. I mean, I, th- I think it's fun, too, seeing a guy like Brett Phillips pitch. But I feel like when he's pitching that many times, it's it's like listening to your favorite song every single day, and then eventually you're kind of worn out of it. That's kind of what it was last year. Like, I liked seeing Brett Phillips come in to pitch, but then eventually I seen him, like, in two weeks I'd seen him pitch four times, five times. It's like, okay, this is getting kind of, like, overdone. I think that was purely because it was Brett Phillips. Like, he's such, like, a crowd pleaser and, like, a highlight guy that everyone, like, no one hates him. So him coming in to pitch, that was kind of the raise, like, you know what, like, let's get the crowd going and stuff like that. I think if you spread it out, it, it doesn't really become a problem. You don't really think about it because it because it was Probably. Brett Phillips pitching so often. Say they're like, oh, hey, Kevin Kiermaier, you have the off day. Go that's true. throw this inning instead of Brett Phillips. Like it, maybe that's not a thing. And that's you, true. maybe you're getting those other guys pitching. You spread it out like no one notices. But yeah. because Brett Phillips is loving the game and just having fun and he's constantly getting highlights out of it, that makes you think like, damn, why is he throwing so much? And it doesn't help that MLB posts it every single time it happens. Like they can't go like – Every single time he pitched, they had to post it 14 times. Like, oh, Brett Phillips pitched today, so um, that doesn't help either. I would love to see a position player go out there and pitch one time and just be like, you know what, fuck it. I'm just going to let some heaters just rip. And I know sometimes like they'll come out and just throw one really fast and then just kind of lob it. But I would love to see a position player go out there and just sit 90 and just, just absolutely hum them in there. I mean, I know that they can do it. Like Bryce Harper was in college at 16 years old, and he was throwing like mid-90s. And he, he threw, like, five, six innings in college throughout his career. He's throwing, like, mid-90s, and he's not even 18 yet and never gave up a run. And I genuinely, I saw this a while ago. If you had to make a team of one player fielding all nine positions, who would you go with? Otani. Bryce Harper. God, that's a good question. I would go I, Bryce Harper. Same. It's a lot of people. Actually, Mookie Betts. I'm going Bryce Harper. A lot of people – Say Otani because it's the obvious choice because he can pitch and you can put him anywhere in the field. But Bryce Harper has played first base in the MLB. He's played all outfield spots. He was drafted as a catcher. And like I said, he was, as an 18-year-old kid, he was throwing mid-90s pitching for his uh, He was pitching for his college team. Bryce Harper could literally play any position on the field. He was drafted as a catcher? Yep. But How did I not know that? Got converted to an outfielder when he was with the Nationals. But the thing is, say you need a shortstop and Bryce Harper's playing shortstop, what, what's that going to look like? Because that's the reason I chose Mookie. Mookie got drafted as a second baseman. Like, he could go out there and play gold glove defense possibly at shortstop, at third base, at second base, first base. Anyone can play that. It's not hard at all. And then clearly we've seen Mookie Betts play gold glove defense in the outfield anywhere. Now, And he has, like, arguably the best arm in the league. So you know he'll be able to throw hard on the mound. It just comes down to catching. At that point, just kind of receiving the ball, which I'm downplaying that position a little bit, but. Still. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're a position player pitching, it's easier to catch than an actual pitcher. Because if Mookie Betts was hypothetically catching himself, it's going to be easier because like, he doesn't have much breaking stuff. Like, you got to kind of worry about something straight, and then, like, the rest of his stuff's not going to be fantastic. Exactly. Shohei Otani catching himself, probably going to be a little bit of a problem because he's never going to, like, maybe if he's playing catch with other pitchers, they're constantly breaking stuff off, which I would assume that they do at least a little bit. 
but if he's out here throwing his wicked slider and then he's dropping in sinkers and splitters, like that's going to be difficult catching someone that filthy. But Bryce Harper going out there just catching a, a straight 97-mile-hour fastball, like it, it's, it's difficult, but not as difficult as something else. But to your point about him playing first base, like and you say anyone can play first base, you're still getting ground balls. I think that that can translate elsewhere. It's not as easy, obviously, because you're getting more difficult plays. You have more ground to cover. But I think having any sort of infield experience kind of helps you out. So Mookie Betts being an infield choice is great, but I think that Bryce Harper having pitching and catching experience just kind of raises him above. Got nothing over there? I don't. You look like you were about to say something and then just mm-hmm. was defeated. But I was just going to let you two just go at it. But, uh, Where's my popcorn? All right, so back to the MLB. I didn't finish my uh, my predictions, but NL East, I got the Braves. NL Central, I I can kind of agree that the Cubs will make a run. I think that that's going to be a very interesting division race. I know there are some other – like the NL East is obviously going to be really good. Or not – sorry, not the NL East. The, well, the, NL the NL East will, will be very good. I, I, meant oh, yeah. the, I meant the AL East whenever I – but yeah, both East are going to be great. NL Central is going to be underrated because the Pirates and the Reds are not very good. But genuinely, I think the Cardinals, Brewers, and Cubs all have a legitimate shot at winning the division. Wait, the Cardinals, Cubs, and you said Brewers as well? Yes. Respectfully, I don't think the Brewers come close. Their offense is terrible. I don't think so either. The offense is not good at all. Plus, they don't have Josh Hader. Yeah, they have Devin Williams. They have Devin Williams, who's good, but like... Did and you see the way that Josh Hader pitched last year? It might have been a blessing in disguise that they got rid of him. <laughs> that is true. I, I was saying that, and you always disagreed, so good to hear. Well, good to no, hear I love Josh Hader. He had a, like a blow-up month and a half. Cole, Josh Hader was one of the best pitchers in, or relievers in baseball for a few years in a row. Josh Hader has like three bad performances in a row. He's like, God, he's so bad. He's so terrible. Cole loves to overreact to some players and just get super like recency bias, but... Uh, Josh Hader did not have a good second half. He was great the last, like, two weeks of the season and the postseason. But, yeah, I mean, I th- the Brewers blew up in the second half. That's for sure. Like, the wheels fall- fell off that wagon. They tried their hardest to give away the division, and they did. But having Josh Hader in the second half of the year the way he played, it would have just been more of the same. Nothing like a death tweet from the Brewers saying, sorry, can't hear you from three games up, and then just losing the division. That was pretty yeah. funny. <clears throat> it was definitely something. But I think that... Their pitching staff is so good. They've got some true. underrated hitters and an absolute blow up in their bullpen. I think that now that it started to stabilize towards the end, I think that now you've got some continuity and people used to their roles. There's not going to be absolute blood. I think they'd be more steady. So I think that I don't think they're a team that's capable of rattling off 25 straight wins, but I think that they can do it. NL West. Definitely between the Dodgers Padres, but I, I could see the Dodgers doing it because the Padres have had, like a really good lineup the past few years, and last year they made the uh, they didn't win the division, but made a run in the postseason. The year before that, they had solid teams, blew up, didn't even make the postseason. I could see them possibly winning the division, obviously, but I I think that it's one of those like the Dodgers are so much more experienced and they're like used to winning that they're like yeah we're just gonna go ahead and take this. I mean you say they've had really good lineups, but they have they haven't like this year will we will most likely barring some crazy injury in the within the first 41 games we haven't seen a lineup which we will get to see this year of Machado, Soto, Tatis and Xander Bogarts. Like I don't really know how you can cuz Juan Soto's been able to like in past like lineups you've been able to avoid Soto because the lineup is terrible behind him. This year you can't do that cuz you avoid him. Well then you got Tatis up next. And if you avoid him somehow, like or for some reason you got Xander Bogarts up next. 
and you can't keep avoiding these guys. You have four, like, honestly, like, 30-plus, 30 35-plus home run threats at the start of their lineup. I don't think Bogarts is a 35-plus 30, home run threat, but he's definitely an all-star at the plate. He's not, like, a power threat like that. But he's – okay, but you know what I'm saying. Like, we haven't seen a lineup. You've said they've had really good lineups. They haven't had a lineup with four superstars like they do now. I get that, but at the same time, they've had a lineup with – two superstars, and then some all-stars. They have a lineup last year with three superstars, and they still couldn't – I guess Tatis didn't play last year. Exactly. But, so they've had lineups that are similar and just add in, like, Xander Bogarts. And, like, yeah, I think Xander Bogarts, is a fan, Xander Bogarts is a fantastic player. But do I think that just adding Xander Bogarts, like, is that going to just win the division? I don't think that it's a guarantee. I mean, yeah, the Dodgers lost some players. Like, obviously, Trey Turner's not there anymore. So that's big. But big loss because we didn't even replace him with like one of the next best shortstops, those Miguel Rojas that we replaced him with. And Gavin Lux is obviously not playing. Exactly. But so I I could see us. I think it'll be like the Dodgers Giants twenty twenty one like one hundred seven one hundred six. But we aren't the ones winning it. It's the other team. I I still got the Dodgers, but I think that's good. there are going to be a lot of good division races. I think the AL Central is kind of like. The lowest, like there might be like a little bit of a competition between like White Sox, Guardians. Honestly, it's kind of like the toilet bowl where it's like who's like two really bad teams that. Honestly, the AL West could also be like not that close of like race because like I, I truly think the Astros will win it, but I don't want to say them because I like hate them with all of my like being. So I want to take the Mariners, but like I don't think it'll be that close of a race to be completely honest. I think the Mariners could do it. I mean, you've got some young guys like Kelnick's never lived to the hype, but he raked in spring training. Julio Rodriguez hurt a little bit last year's his rookie season, so it's going to be difficult. But the Mariners made some good moves at the deadline. You're going to have them for a full season now. I think they've got the best bullpen in baseball. They've got so many guys that are just kind of underrated, and then they're just absolute locks. I love Matt Brash in their bullpen. I wish that he could be a starter more often, but he's filthy out of the pen. I think the Mariners could give a run. Like, I truly think that they could win the division. I think that it's within single-digit games, but I think I still take the Astros. But AL Central, I said this a little bit ago. Didn't mean to say two garbage teams. But, like, two of the – Are you wrong? No. Two, they're two, like, lesser – like, they're kind of garbage teams when you're looking at division champions because you got, like, powerhouses in every division except the AL Central. It's like, oh, the Guardians are solid. It's but the same thing as the NFC East in 2020. Yeah. You're the team winning it. Well, not in, in the MLB or not uh, this year. The Guardians won't be under 500 making the playoffs, but like they won't be like 30 games over like yeah, many yeah, other. Sure. They'll probably be five to ten games over 500 yeah. winning their division. The Tigers spent a lot of money last year and sucked ass. That was a waste of money. That was a shame, honestly. Yeah. They had such high like promise in entering the season. They just kind of fell flat. To be fair, when we say we spent, they spent a lot of money, most of that went to Javi Baez, and Javi Baez is terrible, and he has been the last two, th- like two to three years. Yeah, so. and f- a lot of people have looked back on that signing and been like, oh, well, hindsight's twenty twenty. The way Javier Baez was, pl- or the way Javier Baez was playing, I think that Forsyth should have caught that one. Like, he was playing so ass. Like, yeah, let's go give a $275 million contract, whatever the hell he got. But was not a fan of that signing, even whenever it happened. Now looking back, even more so. But I think AL Central, White Sox, Guardians, toss-up in the air, kind of – I mean, obviously winning the division is huge, but I'm a little bit less concerned with it than the other ones. AL East? Wait, question. Do you think the Twins could possibly sneak in and take that in the AL Central? Because I 
when yes, I was going, no, because I was going through it and I immediately said Guardians because the AL Central is so bad, no teams like really made any changes. But I completely forgot about the Twins. They did get a new starting pitcher in Pablo Lopez, who could Which be a, big. he could be a very like big spark plug to help this team possibly jump into the playoffs. I think that the Twins are one of the most volatile teams in the league this year. I could see the Twins going out and just shitting on all the AL Central teams, winning the division, but I could also see them going like the 60 opposite. and 100. Yeah. I I don't think there's a team more volatile than them. Uh, but I, I've got Guardians, White Sox. Yeah, the Twins could make a run. I'm not betting on it. I think that they could have a winning record, but I wouldn't say that they're division winning potential. AL East, I'm going Yankees. Uh, Blue Jays are a great team. They made some good pickups. I mean, they got Dalton Varsho, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And they've already got, you know, Boba Shed, George Springer, Vlad. They've got some guys that just drill the baseball. But I, I, that's who I got. I think the Rays could possibly make a run as well. But I, I, I the Orioles, good last year. But Yankees all the way. Austin, you right. got who, – who you who you picking? All right. So I'll start NL West. Um, listening to Cole's points about like the Padres and the Dodgers, I I'm still gonna go Dodgers. Um, Soto was hurt during most of spring training, and he, yes, he is starting tomorrow um, in left field. But you know, if he reaggravates that pretty quickly, you're losing both Soto, and then you have what is Tatis out for like what twenty games? Like forty. Forty one. Forty one. Oh, that's a lot more than I thought. Yeah. But if they just fall out of the gates like quickly, and Soto gets hurt, then. You know, I can just see the Dodgers running away with it. But I, I do agree with you of how it's going to be like a 107-106. And, you know, the the 106 gets the wild card, which sucked. But yeah. Um, so I'm going to go Dodgers for the NL West. Might be biased, but NL Central, I'm going to go Cardinals. I think it's going to be a, like, I'll be shocked if they don't win, win at least 90 this year. But I feel like the Cardinals are like a mortal lock to win 90. It's like every year they pick up some guy, I'm like, the Cardinals just barely snuck into the playoffs. They had an okay roster where players overperform. What are they doing? Like, how about you make it? Like, I've always thought the Cardinals, if they make one big signing or, like, one big trade, like, the past five, six years, it's like they're going to be a very good team. I mean, obviously, they got Goldschmidt, and that time was really good, and then it got better and better. They got Arnato, But it feels like almost every year they'd sneak into the playoffs, sign someone that's okay. He overperforms. They get a little bit better, make the playoffs, but then they're just kind of, like, stuck in playoff purgatory like last year they were in the run that the the soto sweepstakes it was the dodgers the cardinals and the padres and the cardinals like backed out because they weren't willing to give up dylan carlson which if you want to talk about that real quick dylan carlson is now the fourth outfielder of the team like i don't know what the hell they were thinking like if it was large newt bar in that honestly i could maybe see that because large is clearly like improving quickly but like I don't think Dylan Carlson has done, like, anything different in the last, like, three years. And Soto is clearly, like, a top-five player in the league. Dylan Carlson is having – he did have a better spring. Um, He's gone – he's done better on the right side because he's a switcher. He's done better on the right side. But you're right. I mean, the fact that you couldn't go after Soto, which, in retrospect, I don't know if I – I don't know if I would have wanted him just because we'd probably have to give up – let's just – go off and I know it's you know almost a whole year past so it doesn't matter but Carlson I wouldn't have wanted to give up one of our top pitching prospects that yeah that would have sucked I mean I think Libertor should have broke season with the camp or uh, with the major league camp but I 
I think that trading him would have been very difficult, especially with the Cardinals' potential pitching woes and Adam Wainwright still being like your ace and probably retiring after this year. I thought he was going to retire after last year. He should have. Yeah. I mean, he's hurt because he was stretching at the World Baseball Classic. Yeah. Like, he pulled his groin or something. Like, he's fragile. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I'm going to go Cardinals for the NL Central. I think they, they better win over 90. And I think something that I'll tell, I think they need a big – I know we're talking – 100 games from now, but I think they need to make a trade deadline acquisition. They've gone kind of stagnant the past few years when they've been in contention. You kind of have to make one this year if you want to even think about playing with the big boys and the Dodgers, Padres, Mets, Braves. I'll throw Phillies in there. Phillies, yeah. Like, you, you have to play with the big boys, and they're just not recently. Yeah. Side note there, I'm going to let you get back to your picks. Uh, Cole, I, I'll kick it to you in a second. But we're kind of discounting the Phillies here. Everyone's going through their like division picks, and no one's really even mentioned I was, them. I was going to talk about them once, but go ahead, Cole. Um, how many teams in the MLB make the playoffs? Is it five? It's or yeah, is it, it six now? It's, it's six now, yeah. starting last year, so six of each. I was going to say because if it's not six and it's only five, who would you have like had to? Who would you be kicking out? Because like the Cardinals have to be. You can't kick the Cardinals out because they are winning their division. The Dodgers, Padres, Braves. Mets or Phillies, which one would you have kicked out in that situation if it was only five? Which is not, but hypothetically, I'd go. I'd go Phillies because of the loss of Reese Hoskins, and Bryce Harper's not playing. Yeah, uh, for a for while, a hot minute. Um, and even their pitching staff. I know that Andrew Painter is young, and the Phillies were potentially going to call him up this year, and he's going to be really good. But he's got some elbow tenderness now. It's like potentially uh, knocked the pitching staff. And I know this is probably going to mean that Aaron Nola is going to go off, but the fact that him and the Phillies have stopped contract talks, I, I don't think that will affect his performance, but you never know. I'm, I love Aaron Nola. I'm hoping that he goes now, because it's a contract year, that he just goes ballistic, wins Cy Young. That would be awesome. I hope so, too. Um, but, yeah, going to the NL East now, um, I, I think it's going to be the Braves just because of the state of the team right now. I think the Mets have too many. I don't want to say too many, but I think the only one I know is Edwin Diaz. He's hurt. Yeah. That, that's uh, Brandon Nimmo got hurt in spring training the other day. Or oh, yeah. Like that's the right. other week. That's right. Wait, he did? Yes. Yeah. That was like a day or two after he said that he didn't want to do the WBC because he didn't want to get hurt. Damn. He's on my fantasy team, and he's in my starting lineup right now. Yeah. Well, so I'll have to change hurt, that. So. Um, and I, I wanted to jump on the Phillies bandwagon so much, but like the loss of Bryce Harper and the loss of Reese Hoskins, that just – it takes a lot. And, yeah, they added Trey Turner, but I don't know if he does enough to. Alec Bohm breakout season incoming. I'm calling it. I love Alec Bohm. Like, his, his stat cast page is not a stat cast page. I mean, like, some of the stats on there. But his barrel rate is elite. He hits the ball hard, makes contact. He just never hits for power. It's, it's unreal. Like, he hits for high average, hits the ball hard, but he never hits extra base hits. Like, I think that he, he taps in that power this year. I think he hits. 20-plus home runs, hitting over 300. Like, I, I think a breakout season incoming for Alec Bohm. Who will the Phillies be starting in the outfield without Harper now? Will it be Cassiano, Schwarber, and some other bum defensive player? That's a good question. I actually uh, don't that's know. That's a great question. I, I, I only I mean, know. It, it'll be the same outfield as last year because uh, or, with or Harper getting hurt, he was the DH all year. So, and that's the thing. With Harper not DHing, do you possibly – take Schwarber out of the outfield and put him at DH because he's terrible defensively and you possibly put a better defense. Well, the thing is their whole defense is terrible. Their whole defense is terrible. Yeah, like, it's not even just the outfield. I know. Their entire infield, outfield, like, they're JT all – Real, well, Real Muto's good, but I'm talking, like, first, second, short, third, the outfield. 
it's not very good. Like Alec Bohm is a terrible defensive third baseman. Who's their Who's their second baseman too? Uh, Segura. Yeah. No, he's on the. Well, last Marlins. year. Oh, I was gonna oh. say he's on the Marlins now. Uh, that I. Uh, Bryson Stott. Oh, that's right. Oh yeah, I I I was kind of counting him as a shortstop, but now that Turner's there, yeah. Uh, also, Brandon Marsh, I think he was the. Mm. Oh yeah. He was the guy. Yeah, as a trade deadline acquisition, but yeah, I think he'll be the other one. But I don't think that you can just be like, oh well, sure, but you're bad at defense, so we're gonna move you to the DH. If you had a team that was really good, he was like the one weak link, you could do that. But everyone's so bad that I think they're just gonna be like, okay, like they're fully committing but to the thing best is, bat lineup. It, but the thing is, they're starting both play. If they're both starting Brandon Marsh and Kyle Schorber, then why not just play the better defensive player? You know what I'm saying? Which I'm gonna go ahead and interrupt you here. So the projected lineup off this website called Roto Champ. I don't know how like trustworthy it is, but they do have Schorber at DH. Your outfield consists of Castellanos, Brandon Marsh, and Jake Cave. I don't know who he is, but he used to be with the Twins, if I'm not mistaken. But that is their. According to this website, that is their projected starting outfield with Schwarber at DH. I, I, Cole, when you said just commit to the, did you say commit to the best defensive player? Well, I said if you're if you're going to start the same player, if you're deciding like who to start in the outfield between Schwarber and a better defensive player, and they're both starting no matter what, why would you not just start the better defensive player at that point? Well, and yeah, obviously if you're the better defensive player and they're both going to be in the lineup, like exactly. why would you? That's what, that's that was just my question. I didn't know who it was. So if they're if like I was just wondering who that is if they're both going to start why not just I, well yeah but it's not like they have a, just a wealth of good defenders on the bench that they haven't just they they just been like we're not going to play you like it's they don't have fielders to play they did get Christian Pache today from the I Athletics did see that. he's good um today. he's great in the field absolutely well, horrid at the plate if you could DH for him you'd let the if this was like two years ago and you were like okay we could DH for Christian Pache or the hitter or the pitcher. I'm DHing for Christian Pache. He's been that bad at the plate. But I I think that he's a potential defensive uh, player out there that is big time. I think that's probably why they they got him, honestly. But back to your division yeah. picks. So I'll go with Braves for the NL East. For the AL West, God, I want to say the Mariners so bad, but I just don't see anyone topping yeah. the Astros in the regular season. Everyone's just, everyone's rooting for the Mariners, I swear. Like yeah. I just I Or the Angels because of the two power Players. I think everyone's realistic enough about it. That's They're like, true. we want to see the Angels win it, but we just don't see it happening. Wait, we we have been discre- like, I want dis like discrediting them because like they haven't been good, but like the Rangers did make a couple quite off season moves. Like they have Seager still, they have Marcus Simeon still, like one of the better like middle infield duos in the league, and they just got Degrom. Like I doubt Degrom, like I said, plays more than five to ten games, but like say he does, where do you guys think? They place I don't in even that think division. The Rangers were 500 last year. I don't think adding Jacob Degrom suddenly makes them a division-winning team. Whenever the Astros won 100, okay. I st- I still think the Rangers are going to be fourth. Like I don't I don't I obviously don't see them being better than the Astros. I don't see them being better than the Mariners. And it's like a toss-up between them and the Angels mm-hmm. because it's just kind of who blows up first. Yeah, yep. exactly. Um, so AL West, I'll go Astros, hoping for Mariners. Uh, AL Central. I'm gonna go. I guess I'll go Guardians. I, you know, I don't. I don't know no, enough about that division to actually make a a smart pick. But I'll go Guardians, and then AL East. How I haven't. I don't know any of this. Did the Orioles make any moves this year? They signed. It was kind of like middle of the pack. It was not like they're getting guys that can like they're kind of bridge players. Like they can 
stopgap stuff, but they no big signings. They're kind of just paving the way for the future because they've got so many prospects that I think that that's what they're doing. So so not enough to really contend for yeah. the title? Okay. Because I kind of wanted to say Orioles cause just because I was kind of impressed with them last year because they kind of made that push. Honestly, I could see them contending because last year they were like, Somewhat close. The reason the Yankees just kept going off and off is because Judge was like had the, arguably like one of the greatest seasons ever, which I don't think he'll do again. So like, say he comes back to not like absolute reality where he's like getting injured all the time, but like say he comes down to more like realistic season, I could possibly see the Orioles climb a little bit. I think the Orioles could a hundred percent be in the race for a wild card spot. I just don't know if I see them winning the division. Yeah, I could. I I think I'm in line with you there now that I like getting more information. So I'm Yankees or Blue Jays. Did the Blue Jays do anything? They Wait. traded away Teoscar Hernandez. Yeah. Uh, they got Dalton Barsho. They traded away uh, Moreno, I think, the catcher to the Diamondbacks. In place of that, I don't think that they made any pitching pickups or anything. I think I'm just going to go with the oh, safe bet. They signed Chris Bassett. Oh, okay, yeah. That's a good pick. And they got Brandon Bell, but like Brandon Bell fell off the cliff. I think I'm just going to go with the safe option and pick Yankees, but I would not be surprised at the Blue Jays, and I would cheer for the Orioles so hard. Just, I would love that. I would love to see it personally. Baltimore, Seattle, ALCS. Give me that. I would love love to see it. So we have our division. We all chose our division winners. Who do we have making the play? I think in the A. I think in the NL, we all have the same six teams for the playoffs, and the Dodgers, Padres. Cardinals, and then the three AL East teams. NL East. NL East, not my bad. Who do we think is making the playoffs in the AO? Uh, in the AO? So I got Astros winning a division. Yep. And then out of the – I'm going to go division by division who I think makes it. I think Astros win the division in the AL West. Mariners wild card. I think you go Guardians winning the AL Central, only team out of there. I think the Yankees win the AL East. And then realistically you have three spots left. I think two, it'll be Orioles. Spots. You mean two spots left? Sorry, two spots, three teams. I think it goes Orioles and Blue Jays making it. I think the Angels could do it. I think so, but that's been every man's downfall. This is the year, guys. This is where the year where the Angels finally make it, and then here comes August. They're like leading the division. Then they go eighteen and fifty-five to end the season. I mean, and they I, lose. I'm exactly with you with those teams. I, I actually think it's only down to that sixth spot between the Orioles and the Angels. I think the Blue Jays comfortably make it um, as that fourth or fifth seed. Yeah, I, I, I think so as well. It's just I hadn't said them yet. Yeah. But I, I could see possibly – I mean, I, shoot, I don't know. The, the Blue Jays are very good, but I – you know, anything can happen. But I, I do think the Blue Jays are going to be a comfortable make. I agree with your guys, six teams, but I'm surprising that if you said the Rays – because I know you're, I know you're kind of high on the Rays. I do really like the Rays, but I, I don't see it. I think they're just like, they don't have like enough, like superstar power to like. To be fair though, they that was that's what everyone's knock against them was, and then they're possibly Kevin Cash pulling Blake Snell away from winning the World Series. Well, that also a took a historic, like that took an historic playoff run from Randy to Rosarena, and since then Randy Rosarena has been eh. He's been pretty good. I think there's just okay. I think there's just one too many teams that are ahead of them. Yeah. Like I think they're in a stacked AL East. Obviously, mm-hmm. I I could see the Rays finishing fourth, and I just think there's that one team that is just better. I think Wander Franco is just like a little too overrated. I don't think he's co- like he hasn't produced as much as what people have expected. And honestly, besides Randy Rosarena and um, 
Wander Franco. I couldn't name a single other like position player on the Brandon Lau. Well, he was he's was hurt like all of la- like a lot of last year, and when he does play, he he can hit thirty home runs, but that's like about it. Yeah, he he hits hits a lot of a lot of baseballs far, but yeah, I don't know. I that's kind of the thing though. Everyone kind of discounts the Rays off of that, like oh they don't really have the star power, or they don't have this or that, and then they kind of just run that moneyball team to success. Like I think the Rays could make it, but I th- I think that I kind of did it too just a little bit ago. I I discounted them. I think that. It comes down to Angels, Orioles, Rays for the last play- last playoffs. But I'm gonna revise that, add the uh, add the Rays in there. And also going off of what Austin asked, if the Blue Jays made any moves, I believe they also got Kevin Kiermaier. They did off season. But I mean, I didn't really mention it because it's like great defensive player, but not really adding much to a lineup that's hit, already stacked. Can't swing the stick at all, honestly. Yeah. Anyone got any uh, dark horse MVP Cy Young candidates before we sign it off? My Cy Young in the AL is Shohei Otani, and in the NL, Julio Urias. Okay, I said dark horse. Are those not dark horse? No. I'm. I mean, Shohei's like Shohei's an MVP candidate. I don't know if he's really a Cy Young candidate, is he? He was a Cy Young candidate last year. Oh well, never mind then. MVP race. And Arias was in the Cy Young race last year, too. And you cannot say Cody Bellinger for your dark horse. Anyway. I'm not. Austin Riley. That's a good one. Dark horse. Um, let's see. For the AL, dark horse. I don't know much about the AL. That's the problem. You might have to come back to me on this. I think my dark horse pick, I'm not making one like for every award. My dark horse MVP pick this year, I made the same pick last year. But... It, if it weren't – he played really, really well, but if it weren't for injuries, he would have actually had potentially all-star year, Chris Bryant. He's been an all-star before. I think that being with the Rockies and being in such a hitter-friendly park, his power numbers could come back. He played around 30, 40 games last year, hit over 300. I think that Chris Bryant could realistically go absolutely insane at the plate and have not like a breakout, but like a sort of resurgence. Cole, um, raise your hand. Cy Young finalist last year. Shohei Otani was not a finalist. Well, I said he was in the race. I didn't say he was a finalist. Well, I, I feel like if you're not a finalist the previous year, you're kind of a dark horse. But that's just uh, my. I thinking. wouldn't say that because he was still he was still an all star as a pitcher, and he was one of the, he was one of the best pitchers in the league last year. It's just that because he's so unique, they kind of have him on a pitch limit, so it's like he's not throwing as much as other guys. But Urias was a Cy Young candidate, so yeah. that's not a dark horse. That's not dark horse. And then MVP in the AO for me, I don't think this is this obviously isn't dark horse, but I think it's going to be Shohei. So yeah, I'm going Shohei for MVP in the A as well. Yeah, it's kind of easy, and like barring some, because I feel like just because he can hit and pitch at an above average level, like obviously, like I'm not saying it's only above average. I'm saying it's like also ab- level of both. Yeah, I feel like that guarantees it. And barring some other historic outburst from some player in the AL, I don't see him not winning. So Shohei Otani could realistically win the MVP. Every single year. Last year, I had countless arguments with Cole. A- Cole said Aaron Judge might have had one of the best seasons ever, which I agree with. I think Shohei Otani had a very, very real and compelling case for MVP over Aaron Judge last season. He did, but it wasn't better. And that's why Aaron Judge won. I mean, I'm not hating the fact. Like, I, I think that Aaron Judge deserves it, but I think that Shohei Otani also deserved it. You can have several deserving people of the award. Yeah. And I think that you couldn't have gone wrong with those two. But personally, if I was a voter, I'm giving it to uh, to Shohei. As a voter, I would have very easily given it to Aaron Judge. Yeah. But you got a 
Dark Horse or like any MVP, like any award prediction? Um, I'll, I'm going to hop on the Aaron Nola train for Cy Young for the NL. I, mm-hmm. I, like, I like him a lot, and I think you're right. It's contract year. He's going to shove as hard as he can. Big time stri- or big time strikeout pitcher. I'd love to see him just K a bunch of people this year. Yeah. Um. For MVP uh, for the NL, I don't think Goldschmidt's gonna have as good as a year as he did last year. I don't think so either. A, a, I don't know. I don't know how Arenado's gonna do. Who was second place last year? For mm, NL MVP, Manny Machado. Was I thought Machado? I thought it was Arenado, and then Machado. Machado was three. No, because I think Arnado was three. So was it Machado? Was it Machado? Yeah, Machado was the other one. I thought no. I thought it was. I don't think Nato made final. I thought it was Goldschmidt, Machado, Freeman. No, it was Arnado. It was Nato. I yeah. thought it was Freeman. Uh, dark horse though. I don't. Are, are we going dark horse or are we just going like what is our MVP pick? I chose. I, I I said, said a dark horse because I had one. If you don't like, if you're just thinking it's between several guys, or you can just dark horse or. If who you think's gonna win it? God, I just like I say I know baseball, but I really don't. Um, I'm gonna. It might sound like bias, but I'm gonna go with Arnado just because I don't. He was more consistent than Goldschmidt last year, except Goldschmidt just had a hell of a first half that it was really just hard to overlook. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go Arnado. My uh, dark host, dark horse hope, Jordan Walker. That would be crazy. As a wild, wow. That would be sick. My AL, like, I will say a dark horse, Julio Rodriguez. I like he that. is my, ad, like, super dark horse, but, like, realistically, I I feel like AL for the next five years, it's locked as Shohei. Like I said, unless someone does have a crazy, like, judge did. I wouldn't say next five years. He's getting traded to the Cardinals this year, buddy. Oh, that's true. I can't. I forgot about that after this year. He's going to the NL, and then it's going to, with the Dodgers, one the next year. Which, be- if you get traded midseason... Do you just lose all eligibility for that initial? Didn't that happen with CC Sabathia? He was traded midseason, and he won Cy Young in one of I them. I think that they would take into account your first half stats. I mean, it might be taken with a grain of salt because you were not in that league, but I think that if you had an insane year, one half with one league, one half with the other, I think that you would still probably win it if you were a realistic, des- like deserving candidate. But, but with. Which league? I guess that's my question. Would I feel like the one you ended with, I would assume. Yeah, it would be the one you end with is who you would win it with. Which, yeah. which would suck for a person who just shoved the whole year and gets outshouted by someone who got traded like yeah. Shohei. Yeah. Like. But I'm going to end this episode off by predicting some breakouts this year. Jared Kelnick mm-hmm. has looked fantastic in, sp- in spring training. Uh, there have been reports that he's reworked his swing, changed his approach. There was a reason he was a very highly touted prospect. I'm not saying he's going to go out here, possibly play all-star level. I think it's a possibility, but I think that he goes out there and looks far, far better than he has before. Spencer Torkelson also, these are kind of young guys, but he uh, last year got sent down to the minors midseason. I could see him possibly doing it this year. His his, uh, peripherals look great. The numbers were kind of down based off of how hard he was hitting the ball and how well he was hitting it, but the Tigers just moved the fence in. It's a more hitter-friendly park. Watch out for Spencer Torkelson to do do numbers compared to last year. Cole, you got your hand raised. Yes, this isn't a breakout, just a, like a resurgence, and it's biased. Jason Hayward, the Dodgers restructured his swing from the past few years because his swing has been hoarded these past few years. We restructured it, and he started hit like three or four bombs in spree training. He's looking pretty good. Not I, would, I don't know if I'd say a resurgence, but I, I think would. that he will, he'll be a viable bat this year, I think, which is more than you can say in the past. I think that he does get back to 
at least being league average, which but, is like a re- a, it's sort of a resurgence exactly. for him because he's been so bad. Exactly. But yes, I think I could see it. Yeah. But with that, uh, opening day tomorrow, everyone, if you're listening, put down no run first inning. Nerfy baby. Pirates Reds. It's my mortal lock of the week. But with that. Got, hold on. You got any mortal locks for the weekend just for future listeners maybe? Sorry no. to put you on the spot, but no, I don't because I not a lot of MLB teams have set their lineup, so I don't know exactly what everyone's going to do. And then a lot of some teams are still undecided for like day two on who they're going to start pitching. And then March Madness has just been such a shit show this year that like every bet I make is just a complete shot in the dark. That's true. So I do uh, not have a bet for the weekend. But UConn's money line. That's Cole's mortal lock. I go UConn spread at this rate the way they're just defending everyone. Yeah, alternate spread minus thirty and a half. UConn. What is that? Plus 10,000? Probably. Quite a payout if it hits. But going to sign it off. Everyone, appreciate you listening. Before we go, everyone, give the Crescent the follow on the social media. Instagram, Crescent Magazine. Twitter, C-R-E-S-C-E-N-T-M-A-G-A-Z-I-1. Crescent Magazine 1. Facebook, UE Crescent Magazine. Definitely follow the Instagram. Constantly posting on that, giving updates, talking about school. Anything new with uh, student media. But we're going to sign it off for now. So everyone appreciate you listening. Peace. Hey.